Thank you for choosing to listen to the Emmaus Radio Ministry Podcast. Each of these messages were given by various faculty, staff, and friends of Emmaus Bible College. To view each series as a whole, or for more information about similar Emmaus ministries, please visit concerninghim.com. That's C-O-N-C-E-R-N-I-N-G-H-I-M.com. As we're traveling with the Apostle Paul, we have stopped in the city of Ephesus for several sessions as Paul spent several years there in Ephesus. And last time, we saw Paul cross the Aegean once again and travel throughout Macedonia and Greece. It was during this time, uh, which is uh, the period in Acts chapter 20, verses 1 through 6, that Paul wrote two letters the letter that we know as 2 Corinthians, and uh, the letter of to the Romans. And so we're going to pause in our study of, of Acts now and talk for several sessions about these two great letters. So from Macedonia, Paul wrote uh, what we now know as the third letter, to the church at Corinth when he found Titus there, who gave a good report of how the church at Corinth had received the letter that he had previously sent, the letter of 1 Corinthians. So in this session, we're going to look at the letter that we know as 2 Corinthians, which again is really the third letter of Paul to the church at Corinth. The first letter that he wrote, just to go back through this quickly one more time, is a letter that we no longer have. It seemed to be a very severe letter that was written to the church in Corinth as a result of Paul's hearing of some of the sins uh, that the church was struggling with, particularly sexual immorality and idolatry. Then he wrote a second letter to them, which we do have recorded. We have it as 1 Corinthians, and we've taken a look together at the first letter to the, the Corinthians there. And then on his trip through Macedonia, this is now the third letter that he's written, which we know as 2 Corinthians. So I want to survey the, the second letter to the Corinthians and some of the major points of the chapters within the letter. As in his other letters, Paul begins in chapter 1 with a greeting for the church and a hymn of praise to God who gives great comfort in affliction. He no doubt says this to give the church comfort that, uh, that they are going through their affliction um, for a purpose, for a reason. He speaks about the events and the aftermath of the riot that had just recently taken place in Ephesus in verses 8 through 11 of chapter 1, and I'll read those verses quickly. Paul says, For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. That gives us a little bit of insight into just how difficult the persecution was that led to that riot in the theater in Ephesus. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. 
you also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. In the remainder of this chapter, Paul goes on to talk about why his plans had changed. He says that he was not wavering in his desire to see the Corinthians, but resolved not to make another painful visit as during his time at Ephesus. Now, this is a trip that, again, we don't have recorded in the scriptures, but it becomes clear through Paul's writings that while he lived at Ephesus, he made an unrecorded trip back to the city of Corinth, likely to address some of these sins that were going on in the church. Uh, he waited to see what their response to his letter would be before the, he returned to the city here, uh, as he writes the letter that we know as 2 Corinthians. Now, in chapter 2, in verses 5 through 11, Paul writes that they should forgive and comfort the one who has uh, been punished by the majority in verse 6. Possibly, this is the same man who uh, was in an incestuous relationship that Paul had written about in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Now, whether or not it is this particular individual, Paul encourages the assembly at Corinth to forgive the person as they have now seemed to repent. Paul then speaks of how he, he did not find Titus at Troas, after leaving Ephesus in verse 12 of chapter 2, he gives thanks to God for the triumph he has in Christ, who through believers spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere, he says in verse 14 of chapter 2. And reading verses 15 and 16 here, Paul goes on to say, For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one a fragrance from death to death, to the other a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? For we are not like so many peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. And now in chapter 3, Paul goes on to speak of his and his group's credibility in the eyes of the Corinthians. This is a big question in 2 Corinthians. It, it seems that some had called into question Paul's credentials in the Corinthian church. He says that the Corinthian believers are, are themselves his letter of recommendation in verse 2 and that they are a letter from Christ delivered by Paul wherever they minister, in verse 3. Their credentials, therefore, come from God, who has made them ministers of a new covenant, he says in verse 6. The new covenant is a covenant of the Spirit, but the old covenant is one of the law and of death. How did the old covenant of Moses bring death? Well, it brought it by its rules and regulations that pointed out sin, revealing the deserved punishment that was due to human beings for violating the law. The glory of the law through Moses 
is then contrasted with the glory of the new covenant that comes by the Spirit in verses 7 through 8. In fact, the glory of the new covenant in the Spirit is so amazing, Paul says, that it makes the old covenant seem as though it had no glory at all, he says in verse 10 of chapter 3, although we know that there was a glory associated with uh, the giving of the law in the Old Testament. Paul goes on to say that there is a veil in place for those who do not believe in Christ, whereby they do not behold the greatness of God's glory. When someone turns to Christ the Lord, the veil is removed in verse 16. The Spirit, who is the Lord, Paul says, gives freedom and transforms us into the image of of Jesus Christ in verses 17 and 18. Then in chapter 4, uh, he goes on to write about the ministry that they had been entrusted with, one do, that does not come with cleverness of speech or rhetorical devices, but by, he says in verse 2 of chapter 4, the open statement of the truth. It seems that some at the church in Corinth, or maybe these were outside influences, were very eloquent speakers. And yet Paul says, we didn't do any uh, special speaking styles just by the open statement of the truth. He goes on to say, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of God's truth in Christ but that the gospel is the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, revealed by God who shines into human hearts. Salvation, then, is a work entirely of God and not of man. This gospel treasure, Paul says, does not exalt the vessels who are God's servants, but uh, shows God's power exactly by the weakness of the vessel. He says, we have this treasure in jars of clay. They are fragile. They're weak. Paul talked about how uh, fragile they were in persecutions and afflictions, and yet this was in order to show God's power ultimately. Look at verses uh, 16 through 18 of chapter 4. These powerful verses remind us as believers in Christ that our, our present afflictions cannot be compared to what God has in store for those who love him. Second uh, Corinthians verse, uh, chapter 4, verses 16 through 18. So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away. Our inner self is being renewed day by day for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not at the things that are seen but to the things that are unseen for the things that are seen are transient but the things that are unseen are eternal in chapter 5 paul goes on to talk about a great hope for our own personal eschatology, or how we think about our destinies after we die. Paul would talk about an eternal home in which we reside, not our present bodies, but future resurrected bodies. 
In verses 4 and 5 of chapter 5, we read this. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not that, that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So the Holy Spirit is a guarantee of our future resurrected bodies. We don't simply just shed our bodies and our souls, our spirits, go off to be with Christ for all eternity. That does happen when we die. And yet there is a future resurrection of our physical bodies, and our bodies are changed or glorified. We are further clothed, as Paul says here. The Spirit is a guarantee of these, this future resurrection. In verse 8, we read that to be away from the body is to be present or at home with the Lord. And so regardless of where we are, Paul says we make it our goal as believers to please Christ because we will all appear before the judgment seat of Christ in verse 10 and will receive what is due for our works done in the body. This is not a judgment of salvation, but a judgment of believers' works to secure either rewards or reprimand from the Lord Jesus. Paul speaks about how the love of Christ controls him and leads him to act not according to his own desire, but according to Christ as his ambassador having been given the ministry of reconciliation, that they now uh, entreat people, beg people to be reconciled to God. And then this beautiful verse at the end of chapter 5, verse 21, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Now in chapter 6, Paul goes on, to speak about how they would put no obstacles in the way when it came to presenting the gospel of Jesus, but would suffer many hardships and do so with the utmost integrity and highest character. Paul writes that believers should not be unequally yoked with unbelievers, and although we commonly apply this to marriage today, really it applies to in any context— where there could be a close friendship or partnership between a believer and unbeliever. While we should befriend unbelievers for the purposes of evangelism and discipleship, we as believers in Christ should not be unequally yoked to them so that they negatively influence us away from God. We are to be separate from the world with God as our Father and ourselves as his children. Now we will pick up in chapter 7 and continue our discussion of 2 Corinthians next time. Thank you for listening to the Emmaus Radio Ministry Podcast. This ministry is possible because of the generous contributions from our partners around the world. For more information about partnering with us, please visit emmaus.edu slash partner.